October 15th, 1988, bottom of the ninth, Dodgers are losing, 4-3, Oakland A's. That's when Tommy Lasorda makes a bold move and calls Kurt Gibson out to the plate. Could it be? Was it possible? Bad left hamstring, swollen right knee, put doubts in everyone's mind. Is this the right guy for the job? Desperate times call for desperate measures. Let the battle begin. There goes the pitch. Foul ball. Pitch number two. Foul ball number two. This wasn't going to be easy. Another foul. Was this guy too banged up to deliver? Maybe so. Ball one, followed by foul ball number four. It's heating up. Ball two, two balls, two strikes, two outs. Ball three. This is the pressure cooker. This is the moment of truth. What would happen next? There goes the pitch. And then, contact. High fly ball into right field, and it's gone. The stadium erupts in celebration. The pitcher, Dennis Eckersley, he's dumbfounded. What just happened? And deafening roar of the crowd reverberates up into the atmosphere. Moments pass. And that's when legendary commentator Vin Scully says, in a year that has been so improbable, the impossible has happened. The impossible has happened. There are times in life where we are left almost completely speechless because what no one believed could happen, happened. Last week, we saw how easy it was to get it wrong. The defining moment passed a man by, a man named Simon, known as Simon the Magician. He was too impressed with himself to see his need for a savior. He was too focused on making his life better, this life here and now, that he didn't want to bother with salvation for the next life. He was too used to buying whatever it was he wanted or needed in life that he couldn't accept the free gift that God was offering him. He was too comfortable with the way things are to acknowledge his sin, his need for a savior, and to turn back to his creator. Simon was a man who got it wrong. The moment which could have changed everything, everything, it went slipping through his fingers. As he basically tells Peter, no thanks, You you can go ahead and pray for me, but I I got other things to do. So easy, isn't it? It's either we say, you know, I don't need Jesus entirely, or we say, you know what, not not just now. I might squeeze him in later after I've done all the things that I want to do in life. You know, the odds of actually acknowledging your sin and turning to Jesus, your Savior, it's actually ridiculously small. 
fact, Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And realizing just the, how ludicrous that statement was, the disciples counter and they say, well, who they can be saved? Camels don't go through needles. I mean, unless you have that machine of Wayne Zelensky's that's going to shrink it down. As far as I know, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids was not a documentary. This is impossible. It doesn't happen. It doesn't work. Who can possibly get this salvation stuff right? When the likelihood of, of, of getting it right is, is less likely than what is absurdly impossible. And that's when Jesus says, you're right. You're right. With man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Amen? Look with me at the book of Acts, chapter 8. And there we're going to see an example of how getting it right is made possible. Let's pray. Father, what we know not teach us. What we have not give us. And who we are not make us. Verse 25 says, Now when they, that is Peter and John, that's who Luke is talking about here. When they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Things were going incredibly well here. This is, this is really amazing what's happening here. The number of people coming to Jesus, that was just skyrocketing, exponential growth. It was amazing. What had started in Jerusalem with a few thousand soon became thousands and thousands. People coming to Jesus, it just couldn't be contained. And even when serious persecution began to be laid out on the Christians in Jerusalem, that just, that just helped things all the more. It only led people to spread out to other locales, out to Judea and to Samaria. And people were blown away in Samaria, blown away by the ministry of Philip, this man who was not only preaching the good news of Jesus, but he's also doing these incredible things in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John, they go on a trip to see, is this legit? Is this, is this really what, what's going on with us here? In, is it happening now in Samaria? Sure enough, the answer is yes. And the work continues. Boy, how exciting that would be. If revival broke out here in North Orange County, can you imagine people confessing their sin, confessing their need for a Savior? It'd be awesome. And just like the, the, the fans in Dodger Stadium on that night, we'd be just so excited at what was happening, we wouldn't want to leave. Even with uh, all the crazy stuff that's going on here, right? Even with the skyrocketing gas prices and, and the price of housing and our, and our ridiculous taxes and the liberal ideologies that are being peddled all around us, we wouldn't care because we'd be so caught up in the work that God is doing here, everything else would just fade into the background. And I imagine that's a bit of what it was like in Samaria. Philip must have been thinking, this, this is just the best. I, I've, I've found my niche. This, this is my place. This is my calling. God's really using me here. 
And what he didn't know was he was in for a curveball. God had other plans in the works. Friends, we've seen it over and over again as we've worked our way through all sorts of different books of the Bible. Even though we may not see it, God is doing prep work to bring about his purposes. He was doing it all throughout Genesis as he was working through extremely unlikely people to preserve the line of Abraham so that the Messiah would come just as he said. He's doing it even now as he prepares some of the most unlikely people to repent, that it turn from their sin and embrace Jesus. He said in Isaiah 46, my counsel shall stand. I will accomplish all my purpose. We like to make plans, don't we? I, I, I like to make plans. We come up with these grand ideas and these maps for getting where we want to go in life. Bucket lists for things that we would like to do, for things that we would like to experience. And so one person says, you know, I, I'd like to write the next great novel before I die. Another person says, you know what, I want to I visit all of the national parks in the United States. Another person says, you know, I want this title, I want that position. And then there's the guy who says, you know, I want to swim with sharks. <laughs> Some ideas are better than others, right? But no matter what plans we make, it's important that we hold them loosely, isn't it? So important that we hold them loosely. Because even though we may not see it, God is doing prep work to bring about his purposes. Proverbs 16.9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. We might fool ourselves thinking that we are in the driver's seat. But the reality is there is a bigger agenda. There are grander plans unfolding here. There are powerful forces at work that are bringing about God's purposes. What was he planning here? What's going on here? He's already doing something amazing. Samaritans are coming to faith in Jesus Christ in droves. And yet something bigger was planned. It says in verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Now if I were Philip, I'd probably be thinking, I do what now? Like, it, excuse me? Why would you want me to leave this thriving ministry that you called me to? And, and who's going to be there to take care of it after I'm gone? Peter and John just left. And now you want me to leave too? Who's going to continue the work? And, and why would you... Where, where exactly? Where do you want me to go? Do you want me to actually go down to Gaza or just hang out there on the side of the road? And, and why would you want me to take the desert road? There, there are two roads. This is not the one that everyone travels. No one's going to be out there. Is this some type of like spiritual retreat? You want me just to, to hang out and get, get some R&R and commune with you? Is that what's going on here? What moments have, ex have you experienced in life where there have been a, a, a change of plans, a radical departure from what seemed to be a very comfortable, maybe very successful, ideal even place in your life? 
Maybe you mapped out your life and you positioned yourself in exactly what you thought was the most useful place for you in the world. Or maybe you thought, this is, this is the center of God's will for my life. But then completely out of left field comes those shocking words, change of plans. <laughs> I'll never forget. My boss said, let's take a walk. And he said, Jared, I've decided to cut you loose. I don't like that. <laughs> Change of plans. Yeah, I sung that old hymn years ago. I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord, over mountain or plain or sea. But when the rubber met the road, I'm not sure I really meant those words. You know, it's easy to say, I'll follow Jesus. It's, it's one thing to have a, a powerful emotional or spiritual experience in, in a worship service. The music is just right. It's just the, the, it's resonating with you in just the right way. Or, or maybe it's a revival meeting. Maybe it's like Asbury, and you are just excited. You feel so close to God. And you might think that, that you and God are good, and that wherever he takes you, whatever he calls you to do, man, I'll go. I am ready. But will we feel the same way when the music stops? And when the moment of truth arrives, and, and when it's time to, to, to let go and just entrust yourself to God's leading and his care? even you're, when you're not sure where, where that is or what it's going to entail? Are you prepared for what God has in store for you? Philip was. Verse 27. It tells us he rose and went. Very simple. He rose and went. Friends, when our plans change, new course is set before us, it can be so easy to find ourselves, that, that, that word that everyone loves to use these days, triggered, <laughs> We're triggered, and we fall prey to all sorts of different things. We fall prey to anger and discouragement and despair and, and lethargy sometimes, sometimes anxiety. Philip could have responded in any of those ways. Instead, he rose and went. He just goes. And Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 2.20, he said, Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use. Some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house. And then there's this curious phrase, ready for every good work. Philip was ready, wasn't he? He was ready. You know how to get ready to step into God's will for your life, that curveball that might be coming your way, you begin practicing obedience and cleaning out of your life everything that is not honoring to him. And someone says, well, what, what does that do? I, I don't see the connection. Well, here's the thing. If everything's sinful or dishonorable or, or unholy is the result of our rebellion against God, of our saying, God, not your way, I'll do it my way, like Frank Sinatra, I, I'll do it my way, it's not, it's not going his way, is it? 
So therefore, by clearing out everything that was of me and not of him and saying, God, your way, not mine, your way is better than mine. I trust that your way for me is so much better than all these other things that I have been holding on to and looking to for satisfaction and joy and happiness in life. As you get rid of all that sinful, go-your-own-way junk, you prepare yourself to be ready for the curveballs when God says, it's time to do it my way. Whatever, wherever you take me, I'm ready. I've already been making those decisions. I've already been letting go, God. On the other hand, if you're still, if you're still holding on to all kinds of dishonorable, secret sins, maybe you think that no one else knows about these things, it's all good, I could just kind of hold on to these in the background and do my other stuff, and everyone's so impressed with me. If that's you, then you are preparing yourself for a really difficult, gut-wrenching time when God's plans throw you a curveball. Christian, you and I need to stay free. You and I need to stay loose, like a batter up on deck, right? Ready to go, ready to obey, ready to do whatever God says to do in his time. So many things didn't make sense for Philip. Didn't matter. Philip went. And as luck would have it, Actually, no, as God would have it, out there on that hot, seldom-traveled road, someone was there. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and was reading the prophet Isaiah. There he was, all the way from Ethiopia. That's a long ways away if you know your geography. It's south of Egypt. But it was considered by the Romans, it was considered by the Greeks as the far out edge of the known world. This man's name is not mentioned. But his role was very, very significant. He was traveling here from Jerusalem and was now traveling home. Luke tells us that he was a eunuch. Well, as many court officials in that area of the world were, for safety, for security, for all kinds of different reasons, probably for humility's sake. And he's in charge of the treasury of Candace. Now, Candace isn't so much of a proper name as it is a title for the queen mother of Ethiopia. Now, they're kings. They really are not the guys in charge in Ethiopia at this time. It is Candace. It is the queen mother. She is like the pharaoh. This is the woman who had the real power in the land. And here was a man who is in charge of the most powerful person in Ethiopia's treasure. He's, he's, he's in charge of all the treasury. And he's traveling on this road. Who would have thought? What a coincidence. Not a chance. 
And it also wasn't by chance that this man was reading what he was reading. Apparently, this Ethiopian traveled to Jerusalem searching for God. It says that he came to worship. Somehow, at some point, he heard good news about this God who had created all things and had called out a people for himself, for the good of all people. And he traveled all the way to Jerusalem, presumably to have a closer encounter with this God. And imagine his anticipation, his excitement to get there, to see the Holy Land, (laughs) to to, to step into sacred spaces, to get a feel for what this whole Jewish thing is, is all about. And yet, sadly, because he's a eunuch, When he got there, he would have been rejected at the temple based on Deuteronomy 23.1. He'd have been turned away. I'm sorry, you you can't come in. You can't be a part of this. And here's another example of a man who probably had some big plans. Change of plans. It's likely that he was hoping to maybe officially convert to Judaism here. Traveled 2,500 miles only to be turned away. And he's returning home from probably his lackluster trip. And he's reading a passage from a scroll from Isaiah. Probably spent a very pretty penny attaining this thing in Jerusalem. Maybe he got it because Isaiah at points speaks favorably about eunuchs. And verse 29 says, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Boy, that would have been a bold move for Philip. What a bold move. It's one thing to go up to a complete stranger and start a conversation. But obeying God here probably meant that he's going up to this this stranger who is probably accompanied by a whole ensemble of travelers. If this man was that important, he probably had a whole crew with him. That's intimidating. He's important. And what's he supposed to do when he gets there? Go over to that chariot. Okay, I'm going. God doesn't give him any instructions and Philip just obeys. It's, it's, it's so easy for me, and maybe for you, to reason yourself out of answering God's call to speak with someone or go somewhere or do something that he's calling you to do because not enough instructions. We're, we're afraid. We're not exactly going to know what to do when we get there. I'm, I'm not sure I, I'm going to have the words. Let someone else do it, someone better equipped, someone who's really good with their words on the fly. We're afraid of sometimes getting things wrong, so wrong that, that we miss the opportunity to trust God to provide us with the words that we need when we get there. I don't know if Philip was familiar with the words of Jesus back in Matthew chapter 10, but these words are certainly important for us to remember today. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it's not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Friends, if, if, if God has promised believers in their time of trouble that the Holy Spirit is going to give them the words to say, 
then doesn't it just make sense that when we're out there trying to be witnesses for Jesus Christ, that he's also going to give us the words to say? He kind of does. Philip doesn't know exactly how to start this conversation. In fact, as I look at it, this is not an eloquent start. Do you understand what you're reading? Hey, you, you understand what you're reading? Had God not been at work here, that man could have been really insulted. How dare you ask such a thing? Of course I understand what I'm reading. Look at me. Look at this entourage. Do I, look, do I not look important to you? Do I look stupid to you? But of course that's not how he responds. As God would have it, this is a man who's truly searching for answers. And unlike Simon the magician, what he was after was not simply some parlor trick or some some pill to make his life greater or better than it already was. He wanted to know the truth. In fact, he's so consumed with finding the truth, he doesn't even seem to care where this guy Philip came from or even who he was in the first place. He just, Philip, hey, jump up. Let's talk. Philip didn't know he was going to do that. Philip had no idea what God was about to do here. Totally relying on God. Moment by moment, and he simply obeys. It's important for us to realize that getting it right is not about having it all figured out. It's about responding to God's call in faith. The Ethiopian was searching. Philip was obeying. Both of them were in pursuit of God's purposes rather than their own purposes, yes? Both of them were in God's good hands, not their own hands. Both of them were on the path to getting something incredibly right. Check out what happens next. Now, the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. Quote, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And then we read, and the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does, this, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. There was some debate on this passage in that day. Some people believed that Isaiah was talking about the nation of Israel. Maybe it's referring to a lot of the suffering that the people have been through. Others thought that this was Isaiah referring to himself. Still others thought that maybe this is about the long-awaited, much-anticipated Messiah. Confusion. You know, a world that stepped away from God is easily confused, is it not? Ours is no exception. How many people are stumbling around with no idea as to who they are? Whether or no idea as to whether or not there's any meaning to their life, any purpose to their life. Some aren't sure if there's any value to their existence or to the existence of others. They're struggling to understand whether or not there's anything such as objective truth. They're agonizing over whether or not they should be ashamed or, or maybe apologize for things that they have not done. And they're fearful that as the years tick by, the conclusion of the stay here on this planet. It's inching closer and closer. That's, that's very fearful. What is it that they need? 
What was it that this Ethiopian needed? Answers from God's word that points them to Jesus. That's exactly what Philip was prepared to offer him. Notice it says, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Here's, here's a second crucial step for followers of Jesus to get this whole witnessing thing right. The first is that they must prepare themselves to obey God's call. We've got to prepare ourselves. That includes getting our lives pure and clean. Second, they've got to repent. Or, excuse me, they must be ready to use God's word to lead people to Jesus. 1 Peter 3 says, In your hearts, honor Christ as the Lord, the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. We need to be ready, don't we? The Bible tells us that the gospel of Jesus is the power of God for salvation to anyone who believes. If that's true, we should know that gospel, shouldn't we? And we need to be able to share that gospel, not just in general terms, not just from personal anecdote, but by pointing to where it is written in God's word. Because Romans 10, 17 says, it says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Paul asks, how, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the what? The good news. This is how we get it right. Trusting that God is powerfully working out his purposes in the midst of our plans breaking down all around us. <laughs> being prepared to go out in faith as he leads us and being equipped with his word that we might be able to share it with those whom he is preparing to receive it. And God was preparing this Ethiopian, wasn't he? Verse 36, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. This is incredible. Some of you may notice there's no verse 37 here. Miscount? What? No verse 37? That's because verse 37 it's not there in the earliest manuscripts that, that we have, that we've uncovered of the book of Acts. And so this might seem like a weird thing to, to some of you, but it's actually a really great thing because it's a testimony to the reliability of the word that we have in our possession, that, that careful attention has gone into deciding what should be in here and what should not be in here. And somewhere along the line, somebody added... And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he said, that is a eunuch, answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. 
Someone thought, that's a really good clarification that should be in there. But the fact that these words are not in there in the earliest manuscripts, it doesn't necessarily mean that they aren't true, but it does mean that, well, we need to be very discerning as to what we call God's word and what is not God's word. And so we're not going to take these words and hold them way up here, even though they totally fit and are totally right on. We've got to be careful. What is God's word and what is not God's word? Because God's word is what? It's powerful. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It has, this is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. At any rate, this Ethiopian, he indicates to Philip that he did, in believe, he did indeed believe Jesus was the Messiah. They stopped the chariot, and most likely in front of all the entourage, if it wasn't an entourage, it was at least someone driving the chariot. There were witnesses there. And he publicly testifies to the fact that he had placed his trust in Jesus. Of course, the reality was that, that God was doing something big here. And that became very, very clear to everyone the moment Philip disappeared. <laughs> the Spirit of the Lord carried him away, and the eunuch saw him no more. They must have been blown away. And the Ethiopian and his crew just start celebrating, just rejoicing. And from history, what we read, church fathers and whatnot, they tell us he went back and he shared Jesus throughout Ethiopia. What was God doing here? Well, it, 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 the simple answer is he brought one more person into the kingdom of God. Beautiful. All heaven rejoices, doesn't it? And yet if you pull back a, a bit, you realize something bigger is happening. God is pushing out the good news further, much further out into the world. It probably didn't make any sense to Philip at the time. Leave a budding ministry in Samaria? What? And yet he obediently follows God's commands. And as he does, he participates in hitting the good news out of the park. Literally. It began in Jerusalem, maybe one of the biggest backfires in history. The enemy's plans to squash this Jesus movement by persecuting Christians, it ends up spreading it out. And then as God asks Philip to travel to a lonely spot, the gospel is set to go out to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria into the end of the earth. Wow. In a year that was so improbable, the impossible has happened. What commentary would you give to this, Vin? In an act of obedience that seems so illogical, God used Philip to accomplish the impossible. The camels don't fit through the eye of needles. People don't come to Jesus by accident. Only as God powerfully and sovereignly calls them to himself and opens their eyes to the truth of his word, gives them the faith to receive and believe, only then are they brought from death to life. And you and I, if you are part of that family, you have a chance to be a part of this. 
what will be the impact of your obedience? There was a man named Pete. Years ago, he had a part in leading my parents to faith in Jesus. No idea the impact that he would have. No idea that my parents would go on to have eight children. No idea that all eight of those children would come to faith in Christ. No idea that they would be passing the truth of Jesus down to their grandkids. And from there, who knows where it goes? No idea. Are we prepared to answer his call? To step boldly out there in obedience, ridding ourselves of all of the sin that so easily entangles us and run with perseverance the race set before us, wherever the, the turns take us. Are we, are we growing in our knowledge of God's word that we might be able to point a confused world to Jesus one person at a time? And will we say yes when he calls us to step out in faith and do what he asks, even when we don't really get the rhyme or the reason to it? With man, it's impossible. But as God's people are ready and faithful to do his will, he allows them to have a part in winning this game of his. This is how you get it right. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this incredible example of a man who stepped out in faith, who answered your call. Lord, uh, this is one of those places in the Bible where, where it's, 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 it's kind of heroic, and we look at it, and we can put a man up on the pedestal, Lord, but really the reality is, here is a sinful person that you did a miraculous work inside of, your spirit came inside of him, and used him powerfully in your kingdom. Lord, we are not all that different. Lord, this morning we want to say we are here and we make ourselves available and we want to be vessels ready, fit for the master's use. And that's a little intimidating to say, Lord, because we don't like curveballs and we don't like not knowing what the future holds and what kind of sticky predicaments we're going to find ourselves in and awkward situations and things you might call us to do, Lord. But teach us to trust you. Teach us to just obediently answer moment by moment your call on our lives to seek you with our whole hearts, to pour ourselves into your word that it might flush our minds out and fill our minds with truth that we might be prepared. Lord, we thank you. This is all about you and your glory. May you glorify yourself in and through us, we pray in Christ Jesus' name.